Hello and welcome to Esquiring Minds, episode two for January 5th, 2023. For the uninitiated, and that should be most of you, um, the show is just three lawyers goofing around for your enjoyment. And um, really nothing we say here should be taken as legal advice, but we are the 121st most popular technology podcast in Australia. So you can take all the tech advice that you want. Yeah. We've got that going Um, for us, which is nice. None of us are Australian (laughs) attorneys, but you know... Based on that, we're the number 127th. Oh, no, that's right. It's not law. But you can accept no. us as technology advice. We are the un- 127th most reputable technology advisors. As long as none of our it's advice literally conflicts with the other. literally in the document, Jake. Yeah. It, says, it says in the document, 121st. I don't know why you keep saying oh, 121st. Oh, okay. Hit the theme music. <laughs> All right, that was a flawless intro. Um, so now we just have to do names. I'm Andrew Leahy. I'm a uh, tax and technology attorney from New Jersey. I had to say, uh, I wasn't sure who I was. Um, I'm joined, as always, by Jake Schumer. He's a Florida local government land and use attorney. And, and, I, and I am very confused. I'm sorry. I was confused about the intro. This is only our second episode. Please be nice. No worries. Yeah, this is all very <laughs> casual. And uh, the third voice you'll hear is uh, Scourge of Bad Bosses Everywhere. He's uh, barred in Georgia and Indiana, I believe, but he'll find you wherever you are. Jason Ramesland. How are you guys doing tonight? Hello. I'm doing great. Pleased to be I'm here. Good. Pleased to see your your uh, sometimes smiling faces. I'm happy to be yeah. the 121st and rising most popular, I got it right, most popular technology podcast mm-hmm. in Australia. Apple. On uh, Apple. Apple. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Parentheses Apple. Yeah. We're, I don't Let's know see how if we're we can move up to 119th tonight, huh? Yeah. I set I our sights we're, we're well on, on 119th. <laughs> Those Australians love us. I know it. So just I mean, to sort what's of place not to love about time. Australia? I love Australia, too. Everything, of course. Um, just hmm. to sort of place us in time and space, are you guys following at all the uh, drama going on in the house? We don't have to get into it. That's not really what this is about. But just are you enjoying the never-ending votes? I'm watching politics through like a uh, through like the holes in my hands as I cover my eyes, <laughs> which is basically just looking at random Mastodon toots and tweets, which is just like somebody mentioned some name like Bob, not Bob Ross. There's a I just see random senators names Good. or random house Bob Good. Yeah. Random house members names. Oh, this is the ninth time. I just, just, I don't, as far as I can tell, nothing has changed in the last 10 votes. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, now it's just like a, uh, the world's least productive filibuster, I guess. I don't know. Mm. I think this is, uh, this is a good insight into what it feels like to be British, having observed them in parliament, trying to, you know, sort out arguments. And uh, you guys ever watch the, uh, the video of when they do questions with the prime minister time? how rowdy yeah. that stuff gets yeah that's what american congress feels like right now to me it's just this rowdy show and like randomly matt gates chimes in and votes for a guy who's not even in congress to uh, to be speaker well, of the house it's, it's a really special yeah. time that's apparent i've heard from many many tweets or many many toots rather uh that 
you know, I keep seeing you don't have to be a member of Congress to be the Speaker of the House. So anybody. Yeah, can I don't be... know if that's true. Is that true? I, I have taken I... that as, as read, but I don't I have no no reason to believe that that's true. I have no reason. I <laughs> I don't see why it couldn't be, but I, I accept I, you know, I have no idea. I It's hard for me to care at all. Because uh, yeah. House, House Speaker of the House is like the face, right? But it's not mm-hmm. that important, I think. It seems like a terrible uh, job. It, it basically, oh, they're yeah. counting votes. They're 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 uh, they're swearing people in. It seems like a really bad job if you were to not actually have a majority. Like if something was to happen so that your party is not in majority, but you are the Speaker of the House, I think that is among the worst jobs in government. Yeah, John Boehner be crazy. and Paul Ryan seem a lot happier right now. Hmm. I may be crazy here, but I thought the Speaker of the House had at least some uh, like agenda setting prerogative and maybe like committee assignment prerogatives. And so it doesn't yeah. matter zero, but that might know. be. Yeah, I, I mean, it matters. Look, it right, it certainly course. matters to the presidency. It, like, but yeah, I guess it's more of a core question of like, why do you want why who wants this job? Who's like right. angling super hard for this job? Uh, well, I feel similarly. Yeah. Yeah. Do what do you need the name? Do you not, do you not know yeah. the name? I've heard, you know, uh, I've heard the name, uh, <laughs> but like, it reminds me of like, when I see somebody running for like bar president, I'm just mm-hmm. like, I, this seems like a lot of work, man. Like what's, what's going, what is the benefit? This seems like a lot of work to take on a job. That's a lot of work. Uh, Apparently, the party that controls the the speaker controls uh, the C-SPAN cameras. Have you heard about that? Like the reason why we're getting all these sort of interesting angles is because the camera people on C-SPAN are have like kind of gone rogue, and so oh, the, awesome. the majority party can kind of control. Like, look, we're going to aim it right at, at our people, and that's it. We're not going to be sort of taking shots at people around sitting in different parts of the house. And since they don't have that, uh, the, you're getting all these crazy little side conversations and stuff that they're picking up. Oh. So maybe that's why it's you my want favorite so thing. This is my favorite thing to imagine right now is just the rogue C-SPAN camera operators like, oh, man, what kind of, <laughs> what kind of craziness can they get into? <laughs> right. In like 10 years, there's going to be a Jeopardy question about like for this in this year, we didn't have a, con- a sitting House of Representatives for 12 days. And this is the uh, and this is yeah. the reason. And I'm going to know it and I'm going to be the old man and I'm going to ta- tell my kid who's going to be like, this is the stupid story, dad. <laughs> Anyway, yelling and shaking your fist at the television. Yeah. (laughs) So in terms of topics we actually intended to cover, um, I think we were going to talk about uh, the Celsius uh, debacle. It's sort of become kind of our beat, right? Sort of talking about crypto and technology. And we're we're talking a lot more about tech than law, but I think there's a little law. Okay, so I think what we're going to talk about tonight was uh, this Celsius network debacle. And for those who are unaware celsius was this uh, ostensibly a cryptocurrency wallet um, company but it was seemingly acting more like a lending uh, platform and it was headquartered here right here in hoboken new jersey as all great uh, criminal enterprises begin in hoboken so <laughs> too did this one and um it is in bankruptcy and i think jake you were going to talk a little bit about sort of what uh what's going on here what what, what do you got yeah and i do want to say that I am not a crypto expert. I'm crypto adjacent. That is, I own crypto. I listened to three whole Freakonomics podcasts about crypto and also a bunch of YouTube, watched a bunch of YouTube videos about crypto. 
So I would say I know more than 99.9% of the population, which still doesn't make me an expert because God, it is so complicated. Uh, and so any, I guarantee you some part of what I'm about to say is wrong, but yeah, so they were, they kind of held themselves out to be an investment bank. Uh, the CEO, the founder, Alex Mashinsky put a bunch of statements out there, was selling it as you put your money in, it's still your money. You put your Bitcoin in, it's still your Bitcoin. We're going to get you interest. And the, and the whole idea was you get these extremely high interest earning accounts, like 12% interest. Um, and people were making a lot of money, but they were all invested in so much of it was invested in crypto. The second crypto went down, it turned out that they were way over leveraged and a bunch of people couldn't get their money out. They froze all their users accounts and then they declared bankruptcy because they didn't have enough money to pay everybody. Uh, and yeah, the freeze out was in uh, about June of last year, by the way. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, and a lot of people lost a lot of money. And one thing that people were worried about even before then, uh, was the fact that was the idea of if you have your crypto in a hot wallet, that is a wallet that's associated with an exchange, just like a wallet account, a like a Coinbase right. or a Celsius account, is what happens when they declare bankruptcy? What happens when that, do, do you get your money back or can a bankruptcy court just take it away from you to pay somebody else that that company owes money to? And so Celsius, ha despite having told all these customers uh, that, that you'd still own your money. It turned out right. the terms of service said the exact opposite of that. It said Celsius owns everything you deposit. Uh, we absolutely own everything you put in. Because yeah, of that, the bankruptcy the... court said, no, this is Celsius's. Therefore, we can take right. it. We can sell it and pay the creditors. What were you going to say, Andrew? Yeah, to your point, it's not only I initially thought it was they have like a um, an account that's called like an I think it was called an earn earning account or an earn service something where um, there was this high yield uh, interest rate um, during some periods there was a, a high interest rate, um, but it it's the terms of service say that anything you deposit into their uh, wallet becomes their property. It wasn't just this like okay I'm holding this out as like invest this for me. This was anything you had in there. Yeah. It was explicitly the opposite of what he was claiming, which is, um, and that's, I mean, that's why he's now there's a lawsuit been filed against him personally for the statements he made with regards to, um, you know, this is as safe as, as a bank. Uh, you should treat it just like a bank. Funnily, yeah. not, not about that. Uh, funnily, it was not the, uh, it was not the customers, right? It was not the, the fact that he said you still own it and then you didn't actually own it was not the basis of that, right? It was that he said that he was going to invest it in a safe. He's going to invest right, this but money it was, in it safe was risky location, investments. But it was actually risky investments, which is like it's kind of funny because the thing that everybody's mad about is you said we would still own it, but but as so much happens in these investor, you know, in Wall Street corruption cases, what really gets you is screwing over the investor, not screwing over the customer. Um, so, so one of the like historical ideas here, so you made a mention of something called a, a hot wallet, which is, uh, kind of like, um, 
uh, I guess it's maybe thinking of it in terms of like a brokerage account uh, would be yeah. a hot wallet where uh, it's in the custody of somebody, somebody else. Uh, and then there's this kind of adage that's cropped up in some crypto circles where people say, uh, not your keys, not your coins, right? So if you're not the ones that are, if you're not the one that's actually holding on to the keys or the kind of individual identifiers for those pieces of cryptocurrency, if you're not holding on to them, they don't actually belong to you. They're, if they're not in your possession, then they're not actually yours. And so this whole idea of a hot wallet that a place like um, uh, Celsius is kind of like that, a place like Coinbase is that way, is differentiated against a cold wallet, which is something like a USB thumb drive or something like that, that you actually plug into your computer and you safely and securely store all of your coin keys there. That's a cold wallet. Uh, and so folks for convenience were storing their assets for both convenience and also for this great return on investment were storing mm -hmm. their coins in Celsius right. and other places, but Celsius is the, the problem child here. Uh, and uh, these folks are discovering pretty quickly, uh, not your keys, not your coins. <laughs> now, you it's think like, about it in terms of, go ahead. No, it's like, it is so clearly connected to or easily uh, analogous to like putting cash into your mattress or putting cash into a box and putting in, you know, um, it, that, this is the reason why bank regulation was invented was because so many people, some banks can throw you in knots with terms and conditions. And there isn't necessarily anything nefarious about the terms and conditions, except some people will do something nefarious with terms and conditions. Uh, and if you keep screwing over people who don't want to have to read an encyclopedia to learn how to do buy crypto or invest in uh, or use crypto, then uh, they're just going to throw their Ethereum into uh, into the mattress that is a USB stick. Right. I, I mean, it it seems I've been thinking about this a little bit with, with all, a lot of these. There's the Ripple case before this as to whether or not um, XRP is a uh, um, an investment um, or is like basically tantamount to a stock or if it's a, a currency of some sort or if it's an asset of some other other sort. It seems like um, the entire crypto market is sort of independently rediscovering all of the things that, as you said, that like why we have regulations for the traditional banking markets. Like we, we're just we're just like working through. We're now we're in like the 1930s, and we're discovering that um, you know it, without some sort of protection, banks can just basically do whatever they want um, with your money. And okay, well we're gonna have to we're gonna have to regulate that. And I do wonder to what extent there is a sort of public policy interest to not particularly well police this because if if you want to be outside you, the customer want to be outside of the banking uh the traditional banking um system this is a little bit of sort of like well there you go like the, the, it's the risk you've assumed now right you want to you want to put your money in uh um celsius or on, on coinbase or on any of these others then there are protections you're not going to have and we're not particularly interested in attempting to extend those protections yeah, you want to operate in the Wild West, then you're going to live by Wild West rules here. And that basically right. means that there are no rules. And basically, the rule boils down to possession. 
turns out that these folks who thought that they were putting their assets into what the CEO was saying are, it's just like storing it in a bank. The coins still belong to you. Turns out not true at all. Uh, and uh, so it's a straight here up we are line. in this. Yeah. So this is- here we are in this situation where uh, now these folks who have stuck, you know, varying amounts of money into these Celsius accounts for these you know, good returns, something like 12%, but not like out of this world, you've got to be crazy returns. Uh, And uh, now these folks, because of the probably intentional misrepresentation of this CEO, uh, you know, are now having what they thought were still their assets uh, now being turned over to secured creditors in a bankruptcy, (laughs) I guess. If we're we we should, probably shouldn't assume that everybody who's listening to this is a lawyer, uh, but in this scenario, right. in a bankruptcy, we've got more or less two different kinds of creditors. It's more complex than that, and I don't I don't claim to know very much about bankruptcy at all. But there are essentially two different types of creditors. You have a secured creditor and an unsecured creditor. A secured creditor is somebody who has some asset pledged for security for the uh, debt that the debtor owes to the creditor. So the most typical one that folks would probably have in a scenario like that would be most familiar to people, at least in the United States. I don't know how things are in Australia. Australians, tell us if this works like this (laughs) in Australia. Everything is going to be Australia-centric from here on. This is an Australia podcast. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, No. uh, So like most people, uh, when you buy a car and you have a loan on the car, that uh, the bank that loans you the money to buy that car is a secured creditor because their name goes on the title to the car. Similarly, when these creditors were loaning money to Celsius, what Celsius was doing was offering them some sort of pledge of collateral, which would be like their accounts receivable, their deposit accounts and stuff like that. And it turns out that when they made those pledges of collateral, the collateral that they were pledging was this money that they were telling the people who were storing their <laughs> cryptocurrency uh, in Celsius still belonged to them, but they were pledging other right. people's crypto. What they were saying was other people's crypto as collateral. And so that's kind of how you end up into the situation. Meanwhile, the people who are depositing their cryptocurrency in Celsius are creditors, but they don't have their uh, Celsius's sort of debt on the books back to them, they don't have that secured by an asset. And there are particular ways that generally you go about doing that. Uh, if you want to explore the depths of that, you can really get deep into the UCC in the United States. Huh. Uh, and uh, uh, I think we established that Andrew is our local expert on the U- UCC. I think he got an A minus in secured transactions. A minus, well, you just couldn't remember citizens. your grade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was too long ago. I can't. Right, I'm sure you did better than 15 that. years ago. But mm, I'm not, in, I'm not um, confident. <laughs> perfecting a security interest in um, crypto apparently is also something that is not uh, very well ironed out. So the idea of perfecting a security interest is like there's an element there that is kind of noticed to other potential debtors that these assets are um, pledged to some other debt to, to some other uh, creditor. And so perfecting a security interest is a state by state thing. And apparently, from what I've seen, it's by no means a, uh, you know, there's a universal method for doing so. Some it's treated like a a bank account, some it's treated like money and possession is perfecting a security interest. As you can imagine, it's difficult to sort of put other potential 
um, creditors on notice that a particular crypto is pledged to um, uh, you know a, a, another creditor. And, and this is one of those things that we... often comes up in the context of dealing with law and technology and law regulating technology is, you know, crypto has been around more or less since, what did we say, 2009, I think is when Bitcoin really started yeah. uh, churning. Uh, and uh, so the law is kind of notoriously bad at figuring out how to regulate technology because technology moves so much faster than legislatures right. and regulators can. Uh, and you can take, for example, the regulations from what, the 90s or early 2000s on spam and uh, how basically ineffective that has been. Uh, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe more recently, the European Union's regulations that are going to require everybody to uh, put all of their device charging on USB C. And, uh, you know, we haven't really seen how that one has played out in the long term. But the complaint about it is that, well, what about when we're ready for USB-D uh, and we're ready to move right. to a newer, better thing? And you're like artificially holding us back in this old connector that's, you know, slow and jankety and all that stuff. So the law just hasn't kept up with regulating cryptocurrency. Meanwhile, cryptocurrency is, what, a couple trillion dollar market worldwide? And so we don't have any idea was. how to regulate this. Of this yeah, yeah. Now it's uh, probably uh, I don't know about about three fifty, right? <laughs> so has had just no. Uh, they've probably had enough time. I mean, it's been thirteen years since Bitcoin existed, and it's definitely been a big part of uh, finance for at least the last six or eight years. And uh, the law just hasn't regulated it the way that it probably should have in order to protect investors the same way that really became important, you know, after the Great Depression, the Wall Street market crash, right. and what was it, Black, Black Monday in 1929. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so this is kind of that lack of regulation chicken coming home to roost here is what we're seeing. Right. And even when there is ultimately regulation, oftentimes it's done through analogy to something else. And so, like even in this in this bankruptcy yeah. case, I, I think in the in the order I was reading, they analogized the um, uh, the the stable coins that have been deposited into Celsius and then um, transferred over through the terms of service to be owned by Celsius as unpledged inventory. And uh, in bankruptcy, that is not something that I think the quote is like, you know, this this is a novel case because it is, you know, stable coins are a relatively new phenomenon, but they in this they in this situation are indistinguishable from just unpledged inventory, like a warehouse full of stuff, basically. And so yeah. they're always trying to analogize to something uh, analog and so analogize to something analog. And so um, they sort of similarly hold themselves back by the constraints of what the physical world uh, has sort of put in the law. And I think they're right to do that for, at least for bankruptcy, because that's kind of how crypto treats crypto, which is, this is a coin, it just happens to exist. There's a lot of unique features to it, but it is a unit, it is a thing that you trade, and it is a storage of value. And that is a thing that is something you can sell as from the perspective of bankruptcy at least which is the whole point of bankruptcy is to pay off your debts basically to arrange how you pay off your debts um right. and so that makes sense from that context 
Uh, but you guys were saying earlier that, you know, how you deal with, is there some interest in it being a wild West? And because, you know, you take the risk at your, uh, you take it at your own risk. Uh, but they clearly are so concerned about money laundering, about the prospect of allowing this wild west to exist. Right. I think that the government really considers crypto to be a threat. Like they see the the potential of digital currency. We have governments looking at digital. Many many governments are looking at digital currency. Our, our own government is looking at digital currency because they Central see bank that digital currencies. Yeah. Yeah. Because they see that, you know, the writing's on the wall. There's no reason to have a piece of paper if you can have something that is good and as good and digital. Uh, Man, there's a lot of like, there are so many implications to having digital traceable currency. Um, I'm one of the few people that got into, that invested in crypto after the crash. I I bought, I bought like 20,000 Dogecoin in 2012. And I was like, oh, this is funny. It's a dog. Uh, and then, <laughs> and it's somewhere in a landfill in Nashville. That's that oh. money is gone. I don't know where it is. And the fact that we this are is to you listeners, if someone <laughs> yeah, find... if you're in Nashville, try to yeah. find a 2010 model MacBook Pro. The hmm. and if you can get it running, which I couldn't, then maybe you'll get you'll get a windfall of a few thousand dollars in Dogecoin. Uh, nice. So yeah. Um, but the fact that we've been taught, you know, been talking about securing digital transactions to protect your place in line in bankruptcy, uh, this shows how, yeah, crypto is not, we don't even think about depositing money in a bank because not only are these banks stable, they, even if they weren't, we got FDIC, they're all, they all have to be insured for our deposits. There's no such protection. There is no protection. And I can see what you mean about the there being a interest in the Wild West because if there was not if there was regulation, they would you right. would be able to put your money into this thing which by its own nature by its very nature has a uncontrollable element to it. Um, right. So because it is a distributed, you know, a distributed system that you know, isn't that controllable by governments, at least for right now. Um, I, I, I imagine they are spooked if you, it, about it. Uh, yeah, for it reminds both me reasons sort of, and bad reasons. Yeah. It reminds me sort of, of um, weakening trade secret protection in order to sort of push people towards the patent regime, right? Like there are these sort of incentives to, to not give too much protection in one area to create the reason for the other area to exist. If if crypto is suddenly put on the same level as the traditional banking in terms of FDIC and insurance and, and deposit insurance and all that sort of stuff, there's really no reason like they can't be on a level playing field because the traditional banking regime fails every time. It's worse in every conceivable way. Dealing with like physical cash is much worse than dealing with digital cash if there's no risk in either. Yeah, I, I it's so I've been thinking about Coinbase a little bit because Coinbase is Coinbase the only reputable crypto company left that is major defined reputable. Oh gosh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Coinbase is publicly traded. So they don't seem to be, if they perpetrate a fraud, that would be very, that would be monumental. I think they're the closest to being able to being sufficiently tied into the traditional because i mean one thing to think about is this crypto crash right had it had crypto been better tied into the banking industry 
there's an open yeah. question there as to whether or not we would have seen, you know, something like an 08 level crash. Yeah. I've heard, it seems most sort of economists that are thinking about this seem to think that that's not the case. It would not have ever risen to that level. But I have heard some that suggest it could be. And so, yeah, to your point, I think Coinbase is uh, large enough and sort of integrated enough that if they were to perpetrate something like this, this wouldn't be just a story being talked on, talked about on a podcast without, you know, I mean, this would be the story of the day. That might be the death of of crypto. (laughs) If Coinbase dies, if Binance and Coinbase both died or, uh, or one of them had a major collapse scandal like that, that seems like, but is Binance how you pronounce it? So like Coinbase and Binance, are those the two remaining biggest uh crypto firms um, i believe so. the two biggest ones that i know of that are left yeah, yeah. uh con- assuming ftx is dead for real um because i don't see i don't see I it think coming that's back. A sa- i think that's a safe assumption <laughs> yeah. yeah that's a because uh, uh... like if you have a reputation a solid you can depend on them forever company out there that's almost as good as regulation. That might be as good as regulation, especially if they get like, there's no reason FDC, FDIC has to be private insurance. Insurance It could be, you know, or public insurance. Right, it could be They private. could get their own, like your account is backed by blank insurance and that'd be enough for at least the consumers. Um, and that might be enough. Uh, but having, but then you'd still have trust issues with the very fact that it nothing is, all you can do, all you can get them back for is fraud. And that is such a difficult case to make. Fraud is such a difficult case. It's right in the terms of service. Yeah. One of the really interesting things to me in this question is about the fungibility of cryptocurrency. So fungibility is like uh, the notion that one dollar bill is essentially the same as another dollar bill. One ear of corn is essentially the same as another ear of corn. They're interchangeable. Uh, I don't know why we say fungible instead of interchangeable. It's lawyers fancier uh yeah i suppose uh but the question of like the fungibility of cryptocurrency when we look at not dollar bills in terms of like the actual piece of paper that you put in your wallet that has a serial number on it but when you're looking at you know dollar bills and a bank account uh line item on a ledger uh those dollars are fungible they're interchangeable uh cryptocurrency is kind of like that, but it is also not at all like that because each uh, coin, each unit of cryptocurrency has its own like crazy high security, unique identifier that is Mm -hmm. theoretically only available at any one time to one person. It was only, you know, theoretically held by one person at a time. And so that whole question came up in this scenario of, you know, it's easier for a bankruptcy court, it seems to me, to say, if we're treating cryptocurrency like fungible, we can take this cryptocurrency on this part of the ledger and transfer it to the secured creditors ahead of the folks in line who are just unsecured creditors like, you know, Jason and Jake and Andrew who had money in Celsius. I don't think any of us did. Uh, No. But the counter argument to that would be more like the legal concept of a bailment, like I'm giving over this coin to you for for you to hold it in custody for me, like I give my car over as a bailment yeah. in the custody of like a right. valet at a hotel or a restaurant or something like that. 
And so it's interesting point. to me you to need think bar about PTSD this. from the bailment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Bar exam. This this one thing is for sure, this whole cryptocurrency debacle and maybe this bankruptcy in particular is really going to make some uh, potential. It has some potential for interesting bar exam questions for 15 years from now when you know the people who are writing the bar exams are actually interested in talking about something technology related. <laughs> but it's got, it's got right. elements of bailments and agency and fraud and secured transactions. Like this, this has it all. All the stuff everybody Pro- hates. Yeah. Crime. Yeah. <laughs> so unless we had any other sort of uh, broad points on Celsius, I think both of our topics, it's great that we're, you know, we're ranking so highly down under with uh, tech because both of our topics <laughs> are pretty, pretty tech heavy. And the other one was a, a Jake topic as well, right? We were going to talk about um, Pacer and uh, whether oh. that's free or should it be free? And so Australia, man, Australians don't have our <laughs> bankruptcy system or our pacer. And you should thank you should thank God as Australia, Australia, <laughs> thank uh, or, or maybe not. I don't know what Australia has. Pacer is our federal court system, uh, public records system or record system filing system. Uh, and what does it PACER was stand what, for? It's got to be an acronym, right? Yeah. yeah. Public access to court I'm looking it up. electronic records. I'm going to guess. Files. Oh, wow. Oh, er, sorry. Oh, there's no F in there. <laughs> oh, <pay-sef. laughs> pay for that. Yeah. Pay, pay for pa- uh, Oh, you got it right. The first it time. was, it was programmed in angel fire. Uh, it was actually originally a GeoCities site that was, awesome. uh, built Town by Square a, slash. I, I'm making that up by the way, Jason. Right. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, could have been though. That can't be it, possible. It is like, believable. Oh. It is yeah, believable it totally that our federal it. courts, our federal courts are run by a file system that was born of a GeoCity site. Uh, if I remember a, correctly, before you go on, I believe, yeah. I think it was during COVID, there was an issue with Pacer and they were saying there were no Cobalt programmers that could <laughs> fix the issue that was going. Do you remember that? That was like, there was like a minor little I moment there. I don't remember it, but I believe it. I'm almost certain. I, I could be wrong, but listeners write in if I'm wrong or if I'm right. Yeah. Or if you're listening, <laughs> please. Um, but it is the world's. It is old and crusty, and uh, people have been talking about remaking it for like a decade or for over a decade. Uh, but the th- and one of the problems with it is that uh, you have to pay like how many cents per page, Jason? Is it ten cents? Ten per cents page? per page. Yep. Ten cents per page with to a, download PDFs. with a cap on. It's it's got a cap of if you're if what you're downloading is uh, thirty pages or more, it's got a cap of three dollars per document, but not three dollars per filing. So if you file a three, bunch of exhibits, you can have a ton. A three dollar PDF for so this is just to download PDFs. This is that's all that, that yes. like if I download a PDF that's ten pages, it's three bucks. Yeah. No, okay. it's, if you download uh, a, a PDF that's ten pages, it's a dollar. Oh, 30 cents. Yeah. Oh, dollar. Sorry. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. It's still too much. Too much. Understood. It's still too much. Somebody attaches an affidavit to their summary judgment motion. Or not like attaches an affidavit to their motion to continue. That's that's too many pages. Uh it's you know. Uh, but they've been talking about remaking it for years. The um, but the thing is, these fees, obviously, it doesn't cost three dollars to let somebody download a PDF. Um 
And the court system has been using these fees for things that have nothing to do with the filing system, using it for courtroom maintenance and, you know, <laughs> DVD players for judges, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, and they are so they have basically taken a position which uh, I would consider to be professionally embarrassing to say out loud if I were working for the for the court administration, uh, which is like. This is absolutely necessary. It is impossible to build a better system than Pacer, <laughs> even though I live in Florida, a state which you know has one tenth the population of the of the government as a whole, as the country as a whole, which has a ten times better public court system that is totally free. Um, mm-hmm. And they say it's like, oh, it would take two billion dollars to build a system that is free and good. Uh, and it's just so ridiculous that I can't believe they're saying it out loud. But help was coming. Help was on the way in the omnibus bill that just passed the uh, Congress like a right. week and a week ago or so. There was going to be a bill to make Pacer free, and the uh, and the um, the budget office. They, they whoever couldn't it get is the amendment passed. Yeah, they couldn't get it passed. Even though the budget office had said, actually, it's budget neutral uh, to do this because you're not actually getting any money from these ordinary Joes trying to download their three dollar PDFs. That's not worth it to you. Um, it, the money was going to come from the federal agencies that do like tons and tons of filings, uh, but they didn't get it through this time. So Pacer is going to remain bad for the foreseeable future. And that is, uh, I hate to be a tragic podcast, but man, <laughs> that is a tragedy. Though apparently there's some hope that there's uh, there's some hope on the horizon. Uh, Jason, you so deal me, with this a lot more than I do. So you go. Yeah. Let me give a little bit of perspective to this. So first of all, Pacer is an old system. I think, uh, Jake, this that the Pacer system itself might be as old as you are. It started in like the <laughs> late 80s. And became accessible across the internet, like basically uh, right right after the turn of the century, uh, and it really hasn't meaningfully improved since then. Uh, I wasn't using it back then. I've been using it for what year is it? Twenty twenty three. I've been using it for thirteen years, uh, and it hasn't really changed. Uh, it is a filing system where you enter your password, your username and your password, you get logged in. And after that, it actually varies like an astonishing amount from one district court to another district court where it is difficult to tell what heading or category or subheading you're supposed to file anything under. Uh, And uh, you can get frequently, usually gently scolded by uh, court clerks uh, for filing it under this when you should have filed it under that. This should have been an appendix, not uh, an exhibit. And, uh, you know, in the future, we need you to do this, not that. Uh, it is a wonderful thing that since 2001 in the federal court system, we have been able to electronically file <laughs> documents into cases. What is tragic about it is that it has not changed or improved even slightly in that time period. Uh, I might have been nice and, then uh, by saying it was a GeoCity site. I might have been too generous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a Geo really, Cities. really old system. 
Yeah. There so are the, some... the, the clerks are stuck being the mods on this uh, website from hell. The clerks are who are policing whether or not you're sort of using it properly. I've never used this, so I'm 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 not feigning that I don't know. I really don't. Know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so ordinarily, it's uh, someone from the uh, from the judge's office, usually a clerk or uh, or something like that. some someone from the courthouse who is. Uh, <laughs> emailing or calling to say, hey, you filed it as this when you should have filed it as this. Now, like I said, uh, and especially in the districts where I practice, they're universally very kind and very gentle about it, as long as you don't keep obnoxiously making the same mistake over and over and just kind of, you know, not being right. courteous to them when they call you to, to correct you. So they're, sure. they're making the best of a bad situation and there's so much arcane stuff to remember in here uh but like the geo cities or angel fire thing like it's it's a little off but it's not that far off uh <laughs> and uh so when somebody files something into a into a case that you have appeared on when uh, whether it's something that you're filing or something that somebody else filed there is a window of time during which you can click into the link in that email that indicates that a filing was made on that case and you can get that document for free. I don't know what that window is. It's not all that long. So you get like <laughs> one, you get one free uh, shot at it. And if, for example, you were to have something happen like, you know, this is not totally outside the realm of possibility, but you click on the link and your internet access is slow or Pacer has some sort of error and it just, the PDF doesn't load. Uh, congratulations, you're now paying 250 for that 25 page filing. And, and you're not actually, because there's a little grace period where in 13 years of federal practice, I don't think I've ever paid Pacer anything. Uh, because I always on my own individually stay below what is, it used to be a $15 threshold for the quarter. Uh, I think mm -hmm. now it's like 30 or $50. So as long as your bill stays below that amount, they just forgive the whole thing for folks. So at is that big firms? It's worse. Is that window where it's free? Is that intentional or is that like an exploit? Is that like a speed running kind no, of exploit where you're okay. Okay. Yeah. I thought it would have been really cool if there was this this, this bug that's just <laughs> right. been sitting in Pacer for like years and it's just like, oh yeah, we're never gonna fix this. Okay, right. you can you just, just keep going. refresh. It just yeah. downloads eventually. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a clerk in the office whose sole job is to just click on the Pacer links the moment that they come through and uh get yeah. save that two dollars and fifty cents. Yeah. Uh yeah. actually if you use adblock, you don't have to pay Pacer at all. Just use adblock. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> Wait, seriously? So there's oh. a number of projects. No, I think he's joking. There are a number of projects. To be clear, I'm joking. I don't even use Adblock for real. I pay for YouTube. That's what that's what my life's about. I respect oh, wow. co copyright, bro. Do you all not respect copyrights? I you wouldn't I wouldn't download a car. I, I hope y'all wouldn't Jake's download a car spicy. either. Yeah. You're being real spicy tonight, Jake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of projects attempting to sort of open source this, right? So one of the things we we're looking at was uh, free.law. And my understanding is um, noted internet activist Aaron Schwartz sort of um, got into some trouble for the. He, he's he's most him? famous for downloading, yeah, um, uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, documents from JSTOR, the like academic uh, mm -hmm. 
paper database, but he also was working with, um, I think it was called, it was like uh, Relaw or, or Re something or other that eventually became the Free Law Project. And he sort of seeded the initial database of downloaded, you know, dockets or whatever's on these things. Again, I don't know. Is that, uh, is that project at all related to the, um, the fr- at all related to the group in Georgia that got the Georgia annotated code? uh put into the not sure. public domain do you know that, that was story? last year right i yeah, vaguely was, I, I seem to remember i won't i i think it was more than last year i think that was a uh a um uh, a time distortion from the pandemic um because uh yeah my I, my friend worked on that case in the 11th circuit uh but it looks yeah, like it was so, 2020 oh uh, yeah um but yeah, that was a case where the Georgia legislature puts out an annotated code, but it used to do so by like licensing it to like Lexis or something. And mm-hmm. even though it was approved by the legislature and considered like borderline compelling, uh, they were, you know, trying to sell it as copyrighted. And the Supreme Court was like, no, that's a government edict. So it can't it's not copyrightable, uh, which I think is, pro- you know, great for the people of Georgia that they don't have to pay for this basically binding law set out by the legislature definitely right. yeah it was lexus nexus and it was apparently it was section 105 of the copyright act that says that uh works created by the federal government can't be subject to copyright and so the annotations are created by the government and thus yeah yeah but uh yeah that's pacer yeah i mean it's a chrome extension the stuff that applies to pacer from free laws like there's like a chrome extension right that's uh that allows you, if you download a Pacer article, just kind of shows how the court administration's claims about how much it's going to cost are kind of ridiculous. There's a Chrome extension that allows you to download it and then give it to other people. And that is free. And that doesn't cost, that, doesn't cost right. that much money to help distribute stuff to other people so that they can, uh, uh, if it was that expensive, that wouldn't be possible to just do that kind so, of basic function. Right. So the nature of the the project here is uh, what they're trying to do is basically democratize all of these orders that are being issued by primarily district courts, because you can find with some degree of ease, basically every federal appellate court uh, opinion, uh, I'm, I'm probably overstating the ease because lawyers have tools to do that. We use LexisNexis or Westlaw or Case Text or uh, what's it? Find Law or Find Law, Justia, uh, right? There's yeah, and so there are some resources, most paid, some free, uh, that mm-hmm. allow you to get access to court filings. But this is they've got this recap project, which is basically trying to democratize access to public access to court filings, especially court orders by inviting people to install for free uh, extensions into Chrome or to Firefox or Safari, it looks like are the three browsers that are supported right now. Sorry to y'all who are using Edge, all all five of you. Uh, But (laughs) they're basically trying to democratize these and it will scrape whenever you access with that plugin running, will scrape the PDF and turn it into this free law project to make it accessible at either right. no cost or low cost. It's basically peer to peer for this, right? Which I mean, it's hard That's for me cool. to distinguish this against um, 
now. Like, uh, I understand what the argument is. The argument is that these things shouldn't be copywritten. They shouldn't be behind a paywall. They should be free. But taken as read, it's hard for me to distinguish this um, from like a Napster or any well, other like, peer-to-peer file sharing. Do you, do we, uh, I, I literally do not know this. Do we own the copyright of the like motions that we file? Cause they seem like legally. And, and mm. even if it, even if we did own the copyright, I, I guess we probably do. Uh, but it seems like free use to download it and, you know, read it for public interest consumption. Um, because otherwise it'd be kind of ridiculous that you can't, can't read motions in major cases, even though it's uh right. You know, uh or emotions in any case where you have like an interest that has nothing to do with what the actual you know the poet uh, as much right. as i think my writing is you know poetry and uh you know worthy <laughs> of uh Art publication writing. in all the protection atlantic <laughs> monthly or whatever i don't know right. where <laughs> where that kind of stuff would be published uh these third-party projects are, are really cool and they're, they're interesting but i mean in terms of downsides to this what i see is that i don't know that i want to have to rely on private um open source projects to have access to these things because right i mean that that seems a little alarming to have like these competing (laughs) state by state projects or competing you know projects across the country that are relying on what patreon pages to be i mean (laughs) if this is important then it should be handled at the government it you know with the by the government it shouldn't be something that is sort of foisted off onto these uh nonprofits that are uh, you're operating just under the 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 law. You know what I mean? No. And if I well, were it's also, the, if I were federal court administration, I'd be embarrassed by the existence of recap. Yeah, that's 100%. that's basically the idea. Where you gonna say, Jason? There's a there's there's a notion that you know in a free society that's governed by the rule of law <laughs> that we shouldn't have to experience. Uh, costs like this to get open access to the court system. Now, if you're asking yeah. a court staff to photocopy or burn to a CD or gosh, burn to a CD, it's been so long <laughs> since I've considered that prospect. Uh, but if you're asking them to do work or print paper for you, like I totally get it. Like there's you, there's a cost attendant to that in the staffing hours that are necessary to do it in the actual cost of the paper and the toner and whatever. Uh, but for something like this, where it is a digital transfer of something that is generally measured in megabytes, if not kilobytes, like, there's no reason why something like this needs to have a cost associated with it in a society where we value open documents, open government, open courts. Uh, you know, this is just kind of an an easy win to say. Hey, this thing that used to cost money to get access to, to see what was happening in the people's courts, like in the courts that uh, belong to the Article Three branch of government, the people's government. Like, here, hmm. have access to it. That seems like just right. an easy win, and uh, now it's being gatekept by, you know, this ten cents a page nonsense. And hmm. it, I, I, I say that I, I, I. I go on a diatribe about it having literally never paid for anything in pacer ever uh, <laughs> you're pounding the table I, you're 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 shaking your fist it's you're very that's animated. right that's right <laughs> have you Bang, guys seen the, uh, the have you have you guys <laughs> seen the new york times like uh video about that case in ohio about public records 
where they tried to charge a guy like $100,000 or something, or maybe it was less than that for public records of a PDF based on the idea that they could charge 10 cents per page. There was a court case about it. And there was a deposition where the city clerk or something simply would not testify whether or not they had any copiers in the office because they were their lawyer had coached them so hard about don't admit what a copier is. Don't admit what a copier <laughs> is because it, they wanted to claim that a PDF was a copy that they could charge 10 cents per page for. So it was like it was embarrassing. I'll put it in the show notes. But it was yeah. a very funny uh, video about just kind of like how silly it is to try to apply these 10 cents per page rules to PDFs, which, you know, I send now 20 times a day without thinking about it. So right. I guess maybe the maybe the best way to think about this is historically when Abraham Lincoln walked into courthouses in the 1840s in Illinois he got to walk in and look at and uh, view the files for cases that he was working. I don't know if he was a lawyer in 1840. He probably was. Uh, he was, yeah. But So he would walk into the courthouse and could open up the folders and actually see what was happening in a case. And we don't really, we still could technically do that, but that's not how we do it anymore. We do it by electronic files now. And uh, Abraham Lincoln didn't get charged. He's a bad example. William Jennings Bryan, when he walked into a courthouse and wanted to look at a file, they didn't charge him 10 cents a page to look at the file. And uh, you should be able to get access to this stuff. Access to case files and court files in an open society uh, should should not be a profit center. Right. Can can you go into the courthouse and look at a file? I was going to ask the same question. I like How would you it, do that? so it's funny. Like in Florida, we have one of the things that as a as a local government attorney, one of the things I deal with the most is public records. There is always the option to go in and inspect records and nobody ever does it. Like you have two options. You can ask for copies or you can ask to inspect. I cannot I've never dealt with a case where somebody was like, "Let me inspect them. I don't want copies. I want you I want to inspect them." They always want I want copies. to see them. I want to see them. <laughs> Email them to right. me. Show them to me. Yeah. yeah. I want to hold them uh, in my hands. Yeah. Like it's always been an option and it's not, and it's free. Uh, but uh, yeah, nobody ever seems to take it. Yeah. I have no yeah, idea where one would even go. Yeah. So, uh, this yeah. is homework. How do, how, how do I do this? Do <laughs> this is right. why all those hypotheticals about time travel are like, oh, I would be, I would be dead within a day. I'd be like, how do yeah. I order lunch? Uh, right. What is what am I doing? Okay, so I, I mean, I think that uh, we touched on the two main topics we had. So all we really wanted yeah. to to uh, we had a little bit of follow up, which I think was mostly um, me. I just wanted to quickly circle back in episode one. I talked a little bit about GitHub Copilot and what was going on with that and um, the lawsuit being filed against them. And that's actually being filed by um, Matthew Butterick of uh, Typography for Lawyers fame, the book and the website and all that. Um, and so it's it was most, more or less, there you go. It was more or less as we speculated um, that 
it uh the licenses were just ignored for any of the, like sort of uh, open source licenses that restricted commercial use those seem to be just ignored and this ai just sort of churned through all the github repositories to learn how to code basically and the way <gasps> that was um, i can't oh, believe it terrible they just ignored <laughs> it can you imagine to, for, for, for what for money for a profit they they just they they shirked all those licenses and just read the code that they had access to, but there was a little uh, license file that said please don't. But anyway, it was kind of interesting. The way that it was outed was that um, apparently there is a JavaScript uh, a line of JavaScript code that can be tied to a um, an individual project that is licensed uh, to is not uh, subject not allowed to be used for commercial use, and that JavaScript code has a typo in it that renders oh. that code uh, <laughs> not usable. Right. And so if you go into GitHub Copilot, or if you did at some point and you tried to uh, create a function and use this Copilot to create this function, it would use that code. And they were able to sort of show, or well, they are attempting to show that there's no way that that would just sort of uh, independently reinvent this error because it doesn't work. And so it reminded me a little bit of, I don't know if you guys have ever read about the um, the way dictionaries, dictionary companies used to uh, seed their dictionaries with fake words and fake definitions to try to catch other Companies, I think it was Funk and Wagnalls that did oh. this to try to catch other companies that mm-hmm. were uh, copying their their definitions because you know the word would show up basically. Um, and then, sort of follow up to the follow up there, uh, just talking about AI and stuff. The latest of this like similar sort of problem, it just came out today, so we, I don't really have too many details. Is uh, Adobe apparently is feeding? Um, they have a software uh, program called Lightroom, which is sort of like a light version of Photoshop where you can uh, tweak photos and do some more basic things before importing them into Apple Photos or Google Photos or whatever you may use. Um, They've been working on a beta for a while of an AI that allows for uh, retouching and manipulation, uh, you know, removing people from photos, that kind of stuff. Um, And apparently they are feeding any uh, images imported uh, in through Lightroom into this AI to improve the AI. And again, ignoring ownership of the photos or copyright protections or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, AI is, <laughs> is, uh, is seemingly yeah. going to be around for quite a while. Yeah. And even if it was, that's the thing. AI could be stealing anything we put into the public at any time. And we will never know to learn. Stealing is the, is maybe like a strong word, but it's right. using that information. Permanently to, borrowing. Permanently right. borrowing in the same yeah. way I permanently borrow uh, ideas from, uh, you know, Glass Onion, if I ever wanted to tell a story, uh, just by right. having it in my brain. Uh, at, at least that's one way to think about it. But yeah, it's if Definitely. you put something out there, somebody could use like concepts from it for anything they want. Or uh, apparently just take it virtually wholesale, right? And it. the example of the, the GitHub the Copilot code, JavaScript yeah. code. Yeah, yeah, it's just I mean, somebody wrote it wrong, so it's not it's not exactly a work of art. It's has a problem, right? Yeah. But um it's yeah, just lifted wholesale. It's funny did it's funny that you mentioned the typo thing. Did either of you hear about Receptio Gate that happened over the holiday? I heard about it, but, no, but I, I don't are you prepared to tell us about it? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I am so prepared. But it awesome. was this is a man, I love niche niche drama, niche uh niche field drama. But this is about historical manuscript study. And basically what happened is that there's some there's some historical manuscript organization called Receptio um, that uh, where they publish something 
you know, they published some historical manuscript analysis. And then another historical manuscript blogger was like, actually, you just ripped that entire thing off from my blog. And uh, (laughs) part of the proof was uh, a shared was a shared typo. I might be getting this all wrong, but there was a typo in there, which is, of course, a common way of determining like authenticity of manuscripts for his, from history is like, if there's a typo that, you know, that's kind of whether or not um, something is legitimate because typos right. are not repeated are not repeated unless you are copying basically. Um, right. And it, so when that, that uh, person, the blogger put out the blog saying you're stealing, you're stealing from me. It people started looking more into this organization and it turned out they had a bunch of fake employees. Their address was <laughs> fake. It was like a P.O. box and wasn't a real building. All of their pictures were were taken from the Internet from other people. Um, and no. the and the people involved are are actually all related. And they've been getting government funding for studies that never occurred. Uh, it was really like <laughs> to set it off set off right. a whole chain of events uh and i guess at yeah. that point when you're when you're sort of pulling off that grift for that long and that completely you start to go like yeah what the heck pull off a blog and say it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a it's a our own work what's the difference you know what i mean like we don't exist yeah. we don't have a real entity none of this is real you start getting sloppy yeah the, i mean it's it like you don't that, want to like check that on it's historical manuscripts mm-hmm. they know how to catch you yeah so, yeah go ahead jason <laughs> It sounds like those folks are ready to run for Congress in Long Island. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Carla Rossi, if you ever hear that name in American politics, I think she's from Switzerland, but she can make it work. Carla so, Rossi. Uh, fellas, yeah. fellas. Yeah. Uh, aside from getting together on Thursdays and talking to each other, what's going on in your life? Jake, what's going on in your life right now? Okay. So for people who don't know, uh, I am, I am famous. Um, and I'm famous because like in May, I wrote an article about Reedy Creek, which is a local government unit that is not very important, except for the fact that Disney happens to own every piece of property in that government unit. And it is also the home of Disney world. And that article is called titled the contractual impossibility of unwinding disney's reedy creek i like that i've always enjoyed that title contractual yeah. impossibility who, it is and who wrote no that room article? for i i wrote that uh what I wrote that genius article. what genius wrote that article uh and it's basically say and that was after the governor of florida ron DeSantis. everybody loves him uh hmm. does pass basically uh the legislature passed a law saying that this this district was going to be dissolved Basically, as like a, uh, uh, basically to get back at Disney for like right. some public statements they were making about um, for about being woke laws that they were they were <laughs> uh, they were passing, um, and basically there's been some dissolving the government would have been a complete and total disaster. Dissolving Reedy Creek would have been a complete and total disaster. So they've been kind of jostling over what's going to happen because they don't want to put it totally back in place. Because then why? Why would it, you do it at all? Uh, but they don't. But they can't do too much because then they're gonna lose a lawsuit. And so basically, I've written a follow-up article uh, on Bloomberg Tax, and it'll be in the show notes, um, 
talking about how basically they are kind of confined to the status quo. There's not a lot they can do. Uh, they have to go back. Disney is inevitable. They get to keep their special little government because uh, they figured it out in the, in the 60s. They figured like Disney out is exactly inevitable. what That's... they needed to. And that now, should be what it says right after that star goes across. Uh, yeah. What is it? Uh, Cinderella's castle. It should say across the bottom. Disney is inevitable. I should I should have suggested that as the headline for this story is Disney is inevitable. Reedy Creek is going nowhere. That's um, good. But yeah, that that's I've written that that is available online on Bloomberg tax. Um, yeah, that's what that's what's been going on in my life. Okay. Andrew, how about you, yeah. Andrew? My yeah, um, my goings on is is more of a question than a goings on. So I've been trying to get more into gaming, playing games. I haven't in a long time. Yeah. I used to enjoy playing games a lot. You guys have been talking about games. You're always talking about games in the in the shared Slack we're on. And um, so I've been like kind of dipping my toe in a couple of different games, and I'm looking for recommendations from you guys. Looking for recommendations from anybody that listens that would want to give a recommendation. The um, two games I've been playing with, toying with a little bit, I sort of have the same problem with in both. It's that I'll, I'll get it right out of the way. It's Elden Ring and it's Destiny Two, and in Don't both cases, basically, I have no it. idea what I'm doing. Okay, and I can't figure out what I'm supposed to do. All right, how much is the game? <laughs> Don't specifically do these two. How much time do you want to put into learning how to do a thing? Is the how much time do you have in your life? It's because Elden uh, Ring, Elden Ring death? is a lifestyle. That's the thing. Oh. And <laughs> okay. so is well, Destiny. I'm not prepared. In totally I'm not prepared for a lifestyle change. In totally different ways. Elden Ring is like you need to you need to become one with being punished. You need to love getting your your butt handed to you. Destiny, okay, but that's helpful. That's okay. helpful information because that is the experience that I've had so far. I run around, I find some terrible looking little critter, I attempt to attack it, <laughs> it kills me, and I'm summarily uh, sent back to where I started. And then I turn off the Xbox yeah. and I go out of the room. Yeah. If you, that's you not normal? all not all people can get into that. That's the thing. That's that's kind of what Souls games are about. And then Destiny 2 is you need to be in tune with the grind. And that is you just keep shooting. You just keep shooting. Right. You, the numbers go up, you get better, your light level goes up, you okay. kill the queen, it doesn't matter what she says. Uh, okay. And yeah, that's, that's. but your numbers go up, your light level goes up, you get the cooler gun, and it's all good, and the shooting just feels good. You need to be uh, in tune with played. the grind uh, doesn't sound like something I really want to do. Sorry, Jason, yeah? <laughs> yeah. I have played Elden Ring. Uh, I played a little bit of Destiny 2. Uh, don't play Elden Ring if you uh, <laughs> don't like to live a life that is characterized by persistent rage uh, because it okay. is enraging to just sit there and bang your head against something that just over and over and over. It's a beautiful game. I had fun with mm-hmm. it. Uh, I also, uh, my whole body clenches up when I think about replaying it, clenches up with like preemptive rage. So, have you tried? It seems like beautiful. Of the wild good, you? masochists. Okay, have I tried keeping good? Yeah. Yes, Elden Ring is exact. It is a game for masochists. The whole Souls okay. series is a game for masochists. A gaming series for masochists. Hey, that's me. Okay, so do you guys quickly do... have a recommendation? Okay, sorry. So take... I I do. Uh, well, it, I I can give you the exact opposite of Elden Ring. 
so I'm in there. There are some Andy crush. It, it, it's kind of like, what do you want to do? You want to just tune out or do you want to engage? If there is, I just finished the game called uh, Disco Elysium, which is okay. there's no combat in it at all. It's a dice roll. It is a role playing game. Dice rolls. You are a detective uh, solving a murder mystery in a kind of uh, fake France um, that has a lot <laughs> of. Uh, it is one of the funniest games I've ever played, but it's not like it's not exactly a comedy. But you right. have like thirty aspects of your personality, like logic. You have your electrochemistry. You have your reason. You have your rhetoric. Mm-hmm. You have your encyclopedia, and they all talk to you, and they chime in at different points. So, like you know, like electrochemistry. So it's just like real life. Do, yeah, it, it is like right. electrochemistry wants you to do drugs because they feel right. good. And logic is like, don't listen to him. Uh, volition right. or volition is like, don't listen to him. Uh, uh, per se, you know, and then, and it's, it's very funny. It is very political in a, in a unique perspective of everybody. It is very directly. You can become a racist if you want, <laughs> if you want to, it's like, you can adopt the skill of becoming a racist. You can adopt the skill of becoming a, a communist. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't either. You can become a communist. You can okay. become a fascist. You can become a centrist. And every time you do that, the game makes fun of you. It's like, oh, you're going to become a communist. Where the where a thousand people fail or where a thousand civilizations failed, you will succeed. Right. And it's like, uh, <laughs> that. that's just kind of the tone of the game. Uh, but then I'm there's like... The, so that's, that's the tune-out game, right? And so what's the, what's no. the like more engaged? No, that's the or engagement that is the engaged. Game. Okay. So what's the tune-out uh, game? Then there's like a tune out, like a Stardew Valley. Do you know that game? That's a, it's that's sort like of like a farming a game. Animal Crossing for NES looking type thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the the, the style. Okay. Yeah. And Stardew like, Valley. I can do that. Yeah. That's like you, you are, that's the opposite. Your, your, your grandfather, your grandfather died and left you a farm. You go and start your farm and you make your farm and you plant your crops and it's very nice. And there's some people around and you can marry them if you want. And it's very nice. And there's like a mine where you nice. can go mine. Yeah. Uh, that might those be are more my Yeah. Or cookie, is clicker. cookie clicker. Yeah, that's a great game. <laughs> I'd recommend that's from clicker. the, uh, that's, that's a callback to uh, the never to be heard probably ever uh, <laughs> episode zero. Yeah, Patreon yeah. supporters, you can do that. We don't have a Patreon, right. but uh, no, you know, once so there you is can't. one, there'll be a ticker <laughs> that is $1,500 a month. And if you, you subscribe for that, you'll get that episode. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay, so I'm going to episode. <laughs> do I remember right, Andrew? Uh, y'all got a Quest 2 for Christmas. Is that right? We did. Yes, that is correct. Okay. With your Quest 2. I strongly recommend the absolute best VR experience that I've ever had in like an immersive plot driven game is Half-Life Alex. It is absolutely okay. completely worth the playthrough. If you have a PC setup that you can, uh, that can actually like power a VR game. And so anything like uh, I, I, I know from knowing you uh, that you have a PC that's VR ready, but anything with like right. uh maybe like a 970, a GeForce 970 or better, you can play this game. It is just 
really, really cool. It doesn't lean too much into the horror, but like it right. is just well done plot, well done storytelling, well done combat, well done exploration, just altogether really, really good. I'm about six or seven hours into replaying that right now. So strong recommend. Wow. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. I think I have a good, uh, good little selection here. And so, but, um, uh, I'll turn it back on you, Jason. What's going on in your, in your life? What's, what's happening with you other than playing Half-Life Alex? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I just started, uh, playing for the first time ever. So don't spoil anything for me. The last of us, I have the last of us, oh. uh, volume one and volume two. Uh, I'm, wow. I don't know, maybe two or three hours into it. And already my heart has been broken and I'm devastated and I'm very upset about everything. Uh, but I've been playing that in the mornings before my kids wake up when I inevitably wake up before them because I'm an old man and I wake <laughs> up early now. Uh, and so I've been doing that and I'm getting ready to, uh, uh, drop some bombs on employers who think that they don't have to pay their employees overtime <laughs> because they work for because they're a staffing agency and their customer doesn't pay them for overtime so we surely don't over oh, overtime ourselves right mm, not so right <laughs> he's coming so, for you that's that's what's going on with me busting up staffing agencies and playing the last of us you you know the hbo hbo is coming out with the last of us tv show I'm, Did you know I that? saw that and I'm excited yeah. about it. And now I have to rush and play the video game all the way through season, at least the first installment uh, before I get to watch Pedro Pascal dazzle the screen as uh, as Joel. Before he gets spoiled. Yeah. And and for yeah. people who don't right. know, The Last of Us is a zom- like a zombie kind of story game. Very good. Well written. Uh, Spoilers. But that game- yeah, oh, that that game's a little there. Well, there are yeah, Ish. Uh, some people yeah, it's basically zombies. You know what it is. Okay. You know, um, gotcha. but uh, yeah, those games hit different when you have a kid. <laughs> the game is like all about like a fa- you know father relationship, and yeah, it's a hmm. it hits different. Uh, yeah. After having first played it when I was in like law school or whatever, and not a non unmarried single guy. Uh, yeah, it's different. I'm excited for the TV show. Nice. All right. Well, I will let you guys get back to your leisure activities and uh, suing uh, bad bosses, etc. And uh, I think we're all wrapped up, right? Yep. Yep. That's okay. it for this week. Thank you for tuning into episode two. Good night, Australia. We love you. Thank you, Australia. Good morning, Australia. Oh, good morning. It's true. Good morning, Australia. Yeah. My bad.